Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. Today's episode is with Patty McCarthy. Now, she's got me from Australia, and uh, she's the director of cultural chemistry, and one of her goals is to help people connect effectively across cultures. So I'm pretty excited to have her on the show and also hear what she has to say in terms of the best ways to actually do this. So welcome to the show, Patty. Thanks, Taya. Thanks for having me. Pleasure's mine. I, I'm, I'm loving the uh, the sound. Uh, is, is that a, is that a, a, a chicken or a cockaroo? Uh, cockaroo. Um, no, it's not. It's actually a pigeon, um, it's a pigeon that you can hear in the background. So yeah, not a cockatoo. So <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's no. It's, it's nature. But um, why don't you tell us about where you are right now and how you got started? So I'm in uh, in Melbourne, Australia, for um, another few months, and then I'm moving to Oxford in England. And um, I've been an expat brat <laughs> all my life. So I started moving when I was eight. I'm in my mid fifties now, and I started moving when I was eight. And uh, lived in Belgium, America, Botswana, Singapore, Australia. I keep telling my husband he's actually the luckiest husband in the world because he gets to move with me and I know all the tricks. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Uh, well, you know, a question I have for you since you, you know, you, you've been an expat since you were, you were a kid is, um, you know, why do 40% of expat, you know, expatriate assignments fail? Do you know, I think the single biggest reason is unrealistic expectations. Hmm. Um, I, I think that a, a lot of companies don't actually give people a realistic heads up about, um, you know, that actually can be quite challenging as well. Um, so, um, so, so my, I guess my, you know, my single answer would be unrealistic expectations, and my 
a multi sort of layered answer would be that 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 is for example within the domestic situation at home so say look sort of nine times out of ten it is still the man who is the the leading partner, um, he goes and has a huge amount of work in those first few months sort of settling in, trying to learn everything, trying to get on top of everything. And the accompanying partner who uh, I think it's significant that the global mobility industry refers to the accompanying partner as the trailing spouse. <laughs> and, you know, that's just such a horrible term, a but it absolutely sums up the way that the partner yeah, it absolutely sums up the way that the mobility industry and most employers think about the partner. It is just someone who's going along for the ride. And so, you know, they rarely get much in the way of support. Um, so most people still don't get cross-cultural training. Um, if they do, they don't get any kind of special support to help the spouse sort of get settled. Um, and, and I think people are sort of, you know, given a big glass of, of lemonade and told that it's water, <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh, you know, you're loving it, it's great. And, and actually, you know, the reality is it's really difficult for a lot of people. And, um, you know, the expat, the divorce rate amongst expats is 50% higher than, than at home. Uh, and there's a reason for that. It puts a lot of strain on people's relationships and, and, um, and, and work can be really difficult. Just working with people from different cultures can be enormously challenging and frustrating professionally. And things that you used to feel that you were really good at, suddenly you can't do those. The things that made you successful in one culture, you know, being a really kind of um, paternalistic manager, for example, someone who, you know, gave all their staff a lot of direction, a lot of sort of real hands-on management. And that worked really well for you in India, for example. And then you move to Australia and it's like, no, no, nobody appreciates that type of sort of micromanagement style here. Actually, they all just want to be kind of left to get on with things on their own and to make mistakes if necessary. So suddenly you go from feeling like a really competent, capable leader to being an ineffective one. So it sounds to me like you're saying, you know, successful expatriate assignees need, you know, three things. So that's training in the social and business culture of their new country, uh, coaching to align their cultural values with those of the new country, and support for themselves and any family members uh, in making that new country their new homes. Yes, absolutely. So I, I in my training, I always have a section that's called, you know, making Mumbai your home or or wherever it is, and, and it talks about, you know, what kind of strategies do you need to make this place your home rather than just somewhere that you're going to live for a couple of years? Mm. And, um, you know, a, a lot of times people, they don't think about needing to have a plan. You know, most, it's, particularly if people haven't moved before, they don't think about how did I get my friends? You know, they just sort of acquired them organically from various sources. You know, you may have friends that you went to school with or college or people that you worked with, your neighbors, people, you know, parents of kids at the school and things like that. And then you suddenly go to somewhere new and you've got to build a whole new circle of friends. And it's like, well, how do I do this? <laughs> so, so I give people strategies for that and, and make them think about that as well. That, you know, it doesn't, you don't just sit at home waiting for the phone to ring. Because <laughs> it probably won't. <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, you describe yourself as an expat brat, and I, I'm a diplo brat. So I, when I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. No, 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 no. I, I, I always loved meeting, uh, you know, 
fellow brats. We're such annoying people. No, but um, yeah. <laughs> I when I was uh, first um, cognizant of, of a move that I was making, it was to Burkina Faso, and that was a you know it's, it's a French speaking country in West Africa. You know, I, I came in there as a ten year old in Nigerian, um, but also having to work in an international school that was American um, Americanized in many ways. And one of the ways that I, you know, it was initially difficult for me, but one of the ways that I, I found my, myself breaking out my shell was finding connectors, you know, finding what it was that was common between me and the new culture and, and, and how we could develop friendships around that. I'm, I'm, curious, yeah. I'm curious, though, yeah. with, with you, as you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, you're in the cross-cultural field, how do you encourage people to tap into strategies that can help them adapt to different cultures while understanding how the other culture sees them. So, um, as you know, I've, I've just recently published a book called Cultural Chemistry, um, and it's called Simple Strategies for Bridging Cultural Gaps. And I, um, as you know, I'm sort of passionate about this need for people to be prepared before they go so you've had um andy malinsky on a few times talking about cultures in different countries and and he's done a really fantastic job of teaching us about how these different cultures work but i think one thing that is overlooked often in cross-cultural training is actually looking at yourself and your own culture so in my book i introduce a, a model called the four r's and that stands for rewards, research, reflect, and reach out. So um, the rewards piece is really, well, okay, so I'm moving to India. What do I want to get out of this assignment? Apart from perhaps, you know, if I'm the working person, I want some professional success and advancement. Um, and I want to sort of develop and grow my skills. But on a personal level, I also want to enjoy my time here. I want to be able to um, make friends with with, if you like, real Indians, not just other expats in the community. I want to be able to kind of dig down into, into you know, India's culture and understand a little about what makes India tick. Um, I mean, this is, this is hopefully you're going to have all these thoughts. I mean, the trouble is an awful lot of expats don't, you know, and they, they actually want to go somewhere where you don't actually, you know, have to do that or, you know, they choose to go somewhere like Singapore where you can very easily just hang out in the expat bubble and not meet any Singaporeans at all. So, um, but, you know, ideally, if you are going on assignment, you will actually want to, um, you know, to, to use this opportunity to understand and learn about a different culture. So, so sort of thinking about what your, your rewards are. Your research really is, well, what do I need to know about where I'm going? Obviously, I need to understand how they do business. I also need to understand the societal value that drive how they do business. So, you know, are they very egalitarian? Are they very, um, you know, collective? Uh, are they very formal? You know, all of these kind of things, societal guilt and responsibility, you know, compared to my culture, it's all of those kind of things have a huge impact uh, on how people behave in business. So, um, so I think it's really important to understand, you know, people like Andy and, and uh, you know, Hofstede and Lewis and so on, you know, they do that really fantastically well. But I, as I say, I think what's often missing is my third step, which is the reflection piece. And it's like, okay, so now I've, I've learned, for example, that the Japanese are, are very collective and they don't really appreciate people who, who 
dominate the meeting, who um, leap to sort of be, be very friendly and be on first name terms straight away, for example, or how they sit in a meeting alongside others of treading lightly and so on. So maybe me as a sort of big, you know, outspoken Australian or American who goes and say, hi, everybody, you know, or, I'm Tayo, or, you know, I can imagine the way that you start your podcast. I mean, something like that in Japan where people, you know, would be pinned against the wall. <laughs> although, obviously, although, you know, obviously in America, it, it's fantastic and it's it's how people are. But, um, but you know, you, you need to think about, okay, this is what I'm like. So how are other people going to find me? Am I going to be an easy person for Japanese people to become friendly with? Or, you know, is it likely that Indians are going to invite me to their home if I am so different from them? So, and at the end of that sort of reflection piece, and, and you know, I say a lot of that is about how do I think I might react to to different situations that I might find myself in and, and am I going to um, actually, you know, be really kind of thinking that actually I'm a little bit superior to these people or that, you know, that that's really gross that they do that or that that's really wrong that they do that, whatever kind of um, gut instinct response I suppose you have to these differences um, that will, that will come across, you know, that, that will show. So, um, so I think you have to be really aware of, of how you respond to these different situations. And so, Typically, by the end of stage three, so we've gone through rewards, research, reflect, you're sort of left thinking, well, this is never going to work. <laughs> this is kind of like I'm chalk and they're cheese and, you know, we might as well just say goodbye now. So, but obviously, in a in the next assignment situation, you don't have that that opportunity. So, and, and, and say it's not actually just expert assignments. You may be selling cans of paint to China. You know, you might be selling baby foods to, to, to Pakistan. You know that you, you may just be trying to sell your widgets to someone in a completely different culture. And if you want to make money, you want to sell your stuff, then you've got to adapt your selling style, the way that you behave to accommodate the way that they like to buy things. So, so this is, not just a book for expats it's really for sort of anyone working with but I say anyone working with someone from somewhere else which is just about everyone so um so when you get to this stage where you're thinking well how is this ever going to work and how are we ever going to connect uh I introduce a number of strategies which I call reaching out and you know a lot of those are, are not rocket science it's just that people haven't thought about really doing that um so they haven't thought about, well, how, for example, could I support people who have English as a second language better? But I also talk about doing things like asking, not assuming. And so often, you know, we, we jump to this, an, an assumption about someone that, um, that they're doing this, you know, because of X. And actually just to be able to ask and say, oh, you know, it's interesting. I noticed that you do that. You know, I noticed that you don't make very much eye contact with me. Um, and, you know, here we all make a lot of eye contact. Is that a cultural thing maybe? And you just open the door for an interesting conversation. And what happens normally is that I'll make an assumption about the fact that well, someone, not me, hopefully, <laughs> someone will make an assumption about the fact that someone has got a weak handshake or right. is not making eye contact or whatever. 
And we go, oh, yeah, I know what that means because that's what it means in my culture. And so you sort of go off on this tangent thinking all these things about this person, which, you know, perhaps are not true at all. So um, there's a game I like to play when I go traveling, when I kind of look for things that are different. And I made this into a, into a strategy as well, and I call it engaging your inner Sherlock like your Sherlock Holmes. Uh, and, <laughs> well, that's an idea, it, Watson. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, it, and it's basically about what can I see that is different from the way I do things or different to what I know. And, and you know, I wonder why that is. You know, so I, I notice that when we go out, you know, that all the men sit one end of the table and all the women sit the other end. Or, you know, I notice that, uh, you know, when we're in a meeting – the CEO in this country, you know, always sits at the head of the table or always sits in the middle of the table. Or, you know, I noticed that in in China, for example, when I ask a question to the CEO, he always defers it to one of his team to answer. But if I ask the question directly to the team member, the CEO frowns. So clearly that's not a good thing to be doing. And, you know, so why is that? And you make a little note in your book and you ask somebody about it afterwards. And they're like, oh, yes, you see, you know, this is kind of how it works in China, da, 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 you know. So, so you're constantly sort of looking out for things that are, that are different. Uh, and it not only serves to, to really make you think, well, why on earth would I expect that it will be business as usual when things are so different? But it also really you know, reminds you that you are in a very different place and that you need to do things differently. So one of the hardest things to sort of, you know, to, to, to miss out on is building rapport. And it's, yet yeah, it's one of the easiest ways to actually create a connection with somebody. So, um, you know, if we, if we feel like we have things in common with that person, it allows us to feel more similar and them to feel more similar to us. So we could actually start to build rapport strategically and, and, you know, unconsciously by matching the volume and, and speed and tone of our voices, for example, by matching our body language, by matching our listening style. So if, for example, my Japanese client, every time I ask him or her a question, she takes quite a while to answer it. She just looks out of the window for a bit or looks up at the ceiling and I'm sort of thinking, Oh, I'm not comfortable with this, you know, in my culture, silence is a bad, you know, is a bad thing. Actually, you've just calmed down. This is Japan. They do things differently here. Okay. When he or she asks me a question, okay, I'm just going to slow down as well. Because, you know, maybe that means something here. And yes, after your meeting, you go along and you ask, why do people take so long to respond to questions? And people say, oh, well, in Japan, answer straight away. It suggests to the questioner that you haven't really thought about it, and that's rude. Okay, you know, so there are loads of things like that that we just have to kind of switch off autopilot, you know. Right, right. (laughs) I I talk about cultural cruise control when, you know, we're just like, oh, this is how I do it. You know, this is how everyone does it. Well, no, it, it isn't, you know, just the same way that not everybody uses the same currency or eats the same food or drives on the same side of the road. You know, people do all sorts of things differently. And, uh, and I think it, you know, not only does it reward professionally to, to understand these, but it also, for me, you know, it's a huge 
personal reward to be able to feel that you connect with with people from different cultural backgrounds and and makes your time so much more enjoyable and and you know ultimately that, that you know that's my goal is to help people feel happier working with people from different cultures but for, for a lot of people you know it's just like oh my god you know this is so hard I'm so challenged by this <laughs> I'm really not looking forward to this and that's such a shame we're talking to Patty McCarthy here, author of Cultural Chemistry, Simple Strategies for Building Cultural Gaps. And, and, you, and she just went through the four R's. Uh, would you mind just stating them again? Yeah, sure. So the four R's are rewards, research, reflect, and reach out. So yeah. what I do through the books, I introduce the four R's at the beginning, and I also talk about kind of sort of barriers to learning so that, you know, we're kind of we're really afraid of looking stupid. So we, rather than try to sort of adopt a local sort of behavior, we just carry on doing what we're doing. Um, and, uh, and the fact that I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges in this area is that people don't know what they don't know. So, um, so people don't, ex- they don't think about asking they don't think about looking for difference they're just like oh yeah well you know okay this guy works for the same company as me he just happens to be uh you know in germany rather than in canada um but you know i'm sure it's much the same and you know i see huge differences in corporate culture within the same organizations sort of but you know in different cultures so um so i talk about you know the the sort of barriers to learning and then introduce the concept of the four r's the rewards research reflect and reach out things like whether people are are sort of individual or collective look at visual communication oh sorry verbal communications etiquette management there's a, a fun chapter on superstition and so on and i give loads of case histories of people that i've worked with over the last 10 years or things that have happened to me and um and i talk about what happened and what went wrong and then we look at well why did it go wrong and what what could i have done that would have well what could that person have done to have made it, you know, go better and given us a different outcome. So at the end of um, end of each chapter, I talk about the four R's and I say, so how would thinking about his rewards have helped Jose avoid that situation? How would doing more research have helped uh, John, you know, avoid that blue with the people in Venezuela? Uh, and I and 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 that's for the reader to answer those. Well, I I sort of suggest. Some, some things for them to consider and then I also want the reader to kind of add in a few more points for themselves and also there's a space at the end of the book um, for people to write in their own sort of thoughts about something that happened <clears throat> excuse me to them um, that was a sort of perhaps similar that they could learn from Jose's, Jose's experience and apply it to themselves so um, so I I kind of came into cross-cultural training from uh, a coaching background, um, and uh, because I'm like you, I'm a connector, you know. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, I like to kind of put people together and... and try and get a happy ending. Um, I, I'm always, always sort of connecting people with sort of if I'd moved a French woman, you know, a year ago, I'd say, oh, well, you know, you should meet this new French woman who I've just sort of settled. And so I ended up staying in touch with a lot of my relocation clients and I found that a lot of them were unhappy and um, that Australia was the dream they hoped and uh, in many times, you know, they the kind of expat dream they hoped for was actually a bit of a nightmare and often they felt very isolated and and unhappy and lonely. So I went and trained as a coach, as a neuro-linguistic processing, so NLP practitioner, with a view to helping unhappy expats become happier. (laughs) And, um, uh, And this is kind of really what started me on this training journey was actually realizing how many of them were unhappy because they were just not prepared. And, um, and, and I just thought that was just really um, irresponsible of their organisations to send them off unprepared, um, but also uh, perhaps, you know, quite naive of them. But, again, it, it comes back to this that people don't know what they don't know. And uh, if you have never, you know, if you've never summited Everest, you have no idea how hard it is. And uh, and I guess that's the same with a lot of the things that we do. What I want to focus on next is is the fact that you know you yourself uh, you you've basically raised children in the same same way that you were raised. In fact, you you have three children who were born in three different countries. Is that correct? Yes, so my eldest was born in Australia, and my middle one in England, and my youngest one in Singapore. <laughs> that's that's that's. Although, that's nice. Yeah, that's, they've that's, all been that's raised in Australia. Oh, they've all been raised in Australia. But I'm curious, though, having a mom like like you, how, have you noticed them, you know, picking up on cultural differences as, as an early age, or have they dealt with cultural differences themselves? You know, what's that process been like? Yeah, I, I think it's been really good. Um, they all have friends from various, you know, different cultural backgrounds. Um, my elder daughter, particularly now, she she works with people seeking asylum, and um, and so she's got friends from lots of different countries, and she's really interested in this and understand, you know, how that how that information can help her build better connections with people who you know have already been through a lot, a lot of sort of trauma and and um and unhappiness and so anything that she can do that can um make her more appealing i suppose to them you know make it easier for them to to trust her and feel that they can be confident in in her sort of care so i think it's been really good for her um my son just spent a year in america uh, on exchange and um 
uh, and I, I tried to prep him before he went. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but, I mean, he had absolute, he had an absolute ball. And and I um, I kind of left the states out of out of my earlier list. But I I went to high school in New Jersey for a couple of years. Uh, my son ended up at Rutgers University, not very far at all from from where I lived in New Jersey. And uh, so, um, so it's fun. We, we went back to visit him, and uh, yeah, I, you know, just in, I was really struck by how many differences there are between Australia and and America, and so many people think that they are so common and. and you know, it's a very common assumption that other places that speak the same language are going to be the same. Um, and I was really sort of struck. So, and and he said he was as well. And I guess yeah, he he has grown up hearing the conversation at the dinner table about respecting people's cultural differences. Um, and uh, and he he certainly found many things very different, but he absolutely loved it. And uh, if there weren't for the green card issue, he'd be back there tomorrow. You know. <laughs> no, so and my so my younger daughter uh, just so yeah so my young daughter is moving to England with us next year. So and I think that's really brave of her. The most sort of. I think a lot of 18-year-olds would sort of, she's just finished high school and I think a lot of 18-year-olds, because she had the option of staying here and going to college or coming to England and she's chosen to come to England and go to university in England and have a whole new experience. And and I think, yeah, that's part of that open mindset that I've really tried to give my kids to just go out and try something new and not just live in your little bubble that you've been brought up in and lived in all your life. No, I mean, I, I think that's great that your kids are doing that. And, and to your point earlier about English-speaking countries having that stereotype about you know by being all the same, I, I think you're familiar. You're familiar with David uh, Livermore. Um, yeah, uh, sorry, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, culture intelligence. So I was, I'm, I've been going through some of his studies, and he he has an interesting description. Um, he he calls Britain the mother, and and Canada is very much like the mom, but you know, but you know, not quite. And U.S. is the rebel that ran away, but became successful, um, and they were accepted, but just in a very formal way. And Australia is like, yeah. <laughs> Australia is like the resentful but dependent child. So I mean, it's I don't know if this is true or not, but yeah. the, he seems to, you know, people make that assumption all the time. You speak English, oh, it's cool over there, but it's not. It's could be yeah. from truth. Yeah, and and I and I think that that creates a real problem in that. Um, we were talking earlier about having unrealistic expectations. I think people, a lot of people make the mistake of confusing language with culture. So they think if I already know how to speak the language, then I already understand the culture. And, um, you know, yeah, of course, you know, um, England, Canada, America, Australia, you know, just are really very different countries to each other, aren't they? No, they definitely are, definitely are. But yeah, so so uh, as we're getting ready to wrap up here, I'm, I'm really I'm really enjoying this conversation, and the reason I'm enjoying it is because of exactly what you said. You're actually talking about the importance of understanding how others see you. So going to a country, and for me, if I go to a country like Japan, as you gave an example of, or another country, if I understand that I, I am perceived as a boisterous person, naturally I am. Anyway, that gives me that informs my my next course of action and also allows me to add that to what I've learned in my research. So what I yeah, want to, absolutely. 
Yeah. No, so everyone needs to have a mirror with them. <laughs> no, they, hey, and you're giving them that mirror with your book. So that, that that's good. Yeah. Um, what I want to do is ask some rapid fire questions before asking the last question. Okay. Name two tips on how to make a great first impression. Okay. So first chapter in the book is called the first five minutes and it's all the things that you can get wrong in the first five minutes. So um, I'd probably my best tip would be to read that chapter. So, <laughs> um, you know, wait and see. Probably the most most important advice is wait wait and see what other people do. You know, are the men kissing the women? Are they shaking hands? Who's bowing? Who's giving their card? How are they doing it? Who's, you know, calling who by what name? What's going on in the room? Don't assume that it's going to be your way. Wait and see. Wait and see. Love it. Love it. Give me an example of a time when what you said isn't what was heard. Um, oh, well, just yesterday, actually, I SMSed somebody, um, um, she's an Iranian uh, woman that I know who, um, and I am going to visit her next week. And I said, oh, I can't come at, at 10, I'm afraid. Can I come later? And she wrote back, why are you afraid? Oh, I get it. That And I said, no, no, it's okay. So, you know, there are, there are literal things like that that happen all the time. And, uh, uh, and you know, and, and people, you know, she, she asked me, but, you know, she might have been left worrying, you know, why, why is she afraid, you know, yeah. and what have I done that's made her afraid? And, you yeah. know, so, and I think a really common one is in cultures where um, they really are, so mostly the, you know, Confucian origin cultures where maintaining harmony is really, really super important and they will always let you down lightly. So they, you know, so they will never come out with a direct no to your question. So if say, so, you know, what do you think? Are you interested in, in buying my, my dishes? <laughs> and whoever you're talking to, you know, they'll never come out and say, you know, I just don't really think they'll sell in Japan, you know. Instead of it'll be a sort of a, a smile and a sort of head to the side and a, well, it might take some time. So let's, you know, let's look at that again sometime. That's no. <laughs> That's okay? a no. Wake That's up. No. That's no. <laughs> That's a no. That's a no. Um, okay. And um, in terms of being an effective manager and motivator in whatever culture, you know, we've talked about uh, collectivists versus individualists. What what are maybe uh, a few things that um, managers can take on if they want to motivate people? Well, I suppose a bit like you know, wait and see. I really think it's important to read some management books about the culture that you're going to, so that you understand you know what is what is the flavor that works there in that country that you're going to, uh, and also uh, you know observe your the behavior of your colleagues and see how they behave um you know both of these come back to my kind of one you know, strategy of asking not assuming so so much of this is about just don't assume that your way is the way it's yeah. you just have one way of doing things it's just like you have one language and there are hundreds of others in the world and you have one it, it's a bit like an operating system I, I think you know that we we're and I often use in my training I use this sort of 
a bit of it to, to get people thinking about it, reframing it and getting people to think about it a bit differently. I, I start with this slide saying, well, how is a foreigner like a mobile phone? And uh, you can see people thinking, wish you're going with this, you know, but I think we're all wedded to the system that we have, you know, whether you have an iPhone or a, or a Samsung or and those phones have got their own systems that you have to use. You have to put in those relevant commands and prompts to get the phone to do what you want. And most of the time we don't, you know, we don't do that with people. So we might, you know, so we, we have this, we put an iPhone prompt into a Samsung. You know, we, we put an Indian management style into an Australian. And, you know, we, we don't bother to read the instructions we blame the phone when it goes wrong. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, what we really have to do first and foremost is just remember that our way is not the way. It is just one way. Absolutely. I couldn't think of um, a more important message in 2016 with all that's going on. Where can we, uh, where can we find your book? So it's available on the, on all the online platforms. So um, uh, available as Kindle or as hardback. So um, I mean, Kindle's obviously great and portable, but um, I do like the fact that in the hard in the paperback um, copy, you've got these notes at the end of each chapter that you can fill in. So um, because I've written it as a sort of from a coaching and and training perspective, I've tried to go for a kind of a self-help book <laughs> um, that combines information a, a, as well. So, um, so it's not just a sort of cultural information. It's about how can you become better at, at this. So, so it's quite fun to have you know the paper and be able to to fill in the the spaces. So, um, but obviously it depends on on what people want. So, and if anyone's in Australia, they can also buy it from my website. But yeah, online retail is is, is fine. Sort of so. Um, and uh, w one bit of um, feedback that I'm getting quite a lot is that people are saying it's really easy to read and it can recommend it for people who have English as a second language. And uh, that was also um, uh, one, of my, one of my intentions was to make it, I guess, user-friendly for a wide market. And it has examples of um, so it's got anecdotes of, you know, a German going to New York, a French guy going to Brazil, an Australian going, you know, going to Pakistan. So it's very much a global book, not just an Australian-centric book. And, um, and it, is, uh, it is for anyone working with someone from somewhere else. So, <laughs> no, I, so uh, I, I hope people find it of value. Love it. So my, my, I'm going to put all this, that in the show notes so people can find out when to buy the books. I usually ask, this is the last question I usually ask, I usually ask my guests how they can use a difference to make a difference. Um, but I feel like you've been answering that throughout the interview. So I want to ask you this question. We've seen Brexit. We've seen the Syrian crisis. We've seen the Iraqi crisis. We've seen what's going on in Nigeria, my country. We've seen um, division in, in, in France with, with, you know, the jungle. Uh, we've seen a lot of fears raised with immigration and all this um, rhetoric aimed uh, in recent U.S. elections, uh, you know, uh, as a fellow cross-cultural uh, connector, I kind of want you to just, I don't know, talk like you're talking in front of all these people in one room and tell them what they need to do in terms of as a first step. I mean, it's not a one-day process, I know that, but just tell me what your thoughts are. 
Well, a couple of things. One is that I think uh, you know a lot of what's happening is driven by fear, and fear comes out of a lack of knowledge. So um, if people had a greater understanding of the way people from these, and you know, look, let's not be around the bush. What you know, the big challenge that people have got mostly is with people with Muslims. So, and there is a um, a huge sort of fear around the, and then there's this awful Islamophobia sort of you know growing, and I do think that a lot of it is to do with fear and and people filling in gaps in their knowledge with uh, you, you know with with hearsay and popular culture but not actually anything based on reality. So I would um, really encourage people to do a bit of their own research about. Um, about what whoever you know the group is that's troubling them and try to understand that a bit better um, and uh, to take some of the fear out of it and I also would really urge people to just try to make a human connection and stop thinking of this as a as a sort of a them and us in a sort of amorphous sort of group that don't have any individuals Um, and, you know, if you have someone from another culture who moves in next door to you, you know, pop over and, and introduce yourself and, and say, well, you know, this is our tradition in America is always to, you know, give our neighbor a cake or whatever it is you do. And, you know, just wanted to welcome you to, to just, uh, you know, start the conversation. Uh, because usually what happens is people, when people start to get to know each other as individuals, there's much more opportunity to break down barriers. So um, I mentioned that my daughter works with people seeking asylum and um, I do also. So for the last three years I've been working with people seeking asylum. Um, all the families I work with are all from Iran. And so a couple of years ago I had a dinner uh, at my house and um, so two of the guys are chefs. So I organised an Iranian dinner and um, I asked, I charged people sort of $30 a head to come along and um, which I kind of gave to the families. And um, and I got a belly dancer in and we had a really fun night. I had about 60 people over and, um, and I had all my Iranian friends there so that my friends could meet them. But I introduced them first to sort of to the group and then I just left everyone chatting. And everyone said to me, oh, you know, they're so nice. I've never met an asylum seeker before I've never met an Iranian before and I was like yeah they're just people you know they're just like you and me yeah and I I think those kind of things are so important Um, and there are a number of you know great community initiatives doing that but we really need to do more and it really is beholden on on every individual to undertake to do those little things to you know when you hear someone struggling with English to get to make themselves understood, you know, you stop and help, you know, you say, or, you know, you, when someone doesn't, is lost, you know, you, you stop and ask them, you know, do they need help? It's, it's that extending hand from one and making a human connection, I, I think is really the only hope that we have. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's great. And, um, you know, what 2016 has really showed us is as a, as a world, even though we have globalization happening, um, a lot of people are not as equipped as we maybe initially thought uh, we were to deal with actually the consequences of, of what that is. You know, with digitalization and globalization, that comes an influx of many cultures. But 
how accepting are you of that? How understanding are you of that? You know, how willing are you to be able to take on their ideas as you allow to, as you teach them your ideas? Those are some of the things that are being tested right now. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, some people, Absolutely. yeah. And unfortunately, some people have reacted out of fear and others have retaliated out of that fear. And it's created a cycle that has sometimes perpetuated some stereotypes in some areas and other, other, other areas created circumstances where people say, see, I told you so. See, I told yeah. you so. So, yeah. you know, it's just this whole weird cycle. Yeah. So, yeah. I think one of, one of the other things just to, to add is that, um, you know, is it, it's how important it is to remember that this is a two-way street, that it's not – the onus is not entirely on, you know, on one person to make the changes and to, and to adapt. You know, it, it, it's two people kind of – it's a yin and yang, you know, it really is, isn't it? It's two – two sides coming together and being flexible and accommodating. That's why it's a bridge, you know. That's why I call it simple strategies for bridging cultural gaps, you know. It's about two people starting from either end and meeting in the middle. Um, it's not about I'm just going to stand here and you can come all the way across the bridge to me. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think that's um, also a lesson for, for people migrating, you know, to new countries uh, and, and, you know, that they have to be able to perhaps let go of some of their traditions if they are clearly not acceptable in the culture that they have chosen to make their life in now. Um, so, you know, that, and, and, and I think, you know, there, there needs to be more compromise, you know, on, on both and, and for people to remember that it is, let's say, it's a, it's a two-way street. It's about both of us working on this, not just me or not just you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There you have it, though. Patty McCarthy breaking it down like it should be broken down and telling us how we can bridge cultural gaps. Uh, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. And uh, when this comes up, I'll definitely let you know and definitely be sharing a word about your book and your work. Thank you. I love your show. I think it's, it's great, and I love the... Use your difference to make a difference. I think that's so important. I, I wish everyone would. So good on you. <laughs> hey, well, I hope so too. And, and, and back at you for being um, a symbol of that and just helping to, to continue to help people understand cultural differences. So um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll, we'll both achieve our goals. Yeah, great. All right. Great talking to you. Thanks, Tayo. Bye, guys. Have a good one, Patty. Cheers, bye. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 